Matthew chapter number 18 today. And when we started going through Matthew many moons ago, uh, we said that Matthew was, of the four Gospels, Matthew was the kingdom gospel. Matthew uh, was the writer that would identify Jesus as king. His focus on Jesus' ministry was the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so we call that the kingdom gospel. And so uh, as we have continued through Matthew and we've seen Jesus teach and we've seen Jesus lead his disciples, we've seen how uh, there are many different parts of uh, this kingdom living, if you will. And uh, he has called his disciples together. And so now Jesus is leading his disciples, this merry band of misfits that are going around, and they have to live together. And so now we're going to find out uh, Jesus is going to begin teaching and showing his disciples how to live together in kingdom community. And uh, let me say this as we get started, your Christian life and my Christian life, we're not meant to be live alone. Uh, you and I were not called to be monks and live on the side of a hill, although that might sound appealing to some, uh, especially in today's day and age. But you and I were not called to live this life alone. Uh, and because of that, uh, we have to learn how to live in this kingdom community uh, with other people, with other believers. Uh, with those that are around us, our brothers and sisters in Christ, we have to learn uh, how to live with those that we are trying to serve and reach, the, those around us, maybe in our workplace or at our school, those that God has called us to minister to and to extend this kingdom invitation to. And we're also supposed to learn how to live with those who oppose us, uh, those that would be against us both, let me say this, from within and from without. And so as we look at Matthew chapter number 18, we see that Jesus begins to introduce this idea of how to live in kingdom community to his disciples. And again, Jesus has been leading his disciples together as they follow him. And we know that there's the 12, but we believe that there are more than just the 12 that are following Jesus. There are many other disciples uh, that we read about in scripture that follow Jesus for some period of time, maybe not the entire three and a half years that the 12 disciples followed Jesus, uh, but they're following Jesus together. And at different times, as we think about just the 12, they display different levels of spiritual uh, maturity and spiritual leadership. You know, you've got Andrew who was the first to follow Jesus. He brings Peter to Jesus. He's the one when they fed the 5,000 that brought the little boy who had the lunch to Jesus. Uh, you've got Peter, obviously, we, we've seen, we talked last week or two weeks ago about Peter's display of faith, the first one to declare that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, walking on water, all of these great things that Peter did. Uh, we know James and John, again, one of those first few disciples to follow Jesus, uh, the ones that threw their net on the other side of the boat. They were two-thirds of the inner circle with Jesus, with Peter, uh, that went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, that went a little farther with Jesus into the garden. You've got Matthew. We talk about Matthew, the tax collector, who gave up so much, uh, who gave up uh, his uh, standing in uh, the hierarchy, hierarchy of government and bureaucracy of the day, uh, who had thrown party for all of his friends after he decided to follow Jesus, and they got to hear from Jesus. And so different levels of faith and spiritual maturity. And because all of these are men, then it is only natural for them to eventually have a competition among themselves. Because it's natural for men to want to compete against one another in something, you know. And so we find that as Matthew 18 opens up, 
these disciples are having a competition. And so look at Matthew chapter number 18, look at verse number 1. The Bible says, At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And so we read about this, this moment in, in, uh, in Scripture and in, in other places, and we know they've had a discussion amongst themselves. Who's the greatest? Who's the best? Who's the highest? Who does Jesus love the most? Uh, who's closest to Jesus? You know, on the pecking order, if Jesus were to ask somebody to call down fire from heaven, who's he going to talk to first? Uh, they have this competition among themselves. Uh, and again, they're men. It was only a matter of time. And you know how this conversation went. You know, you have Andrew that's like, hey, guys, first of all, I was the first one. Okay, I was the first, the first to follow Jesus. Peter, you wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for me. Uh, you've got James and John who are like, hey, hold on a second, guys. Okay, inner circle with Jesus. You know, we know there's Peter, but we're two thirds of that. We are the sons of thunder. Okay, don't forget that, guys. Uh, you've got Matthew who, you know, Matthew, he's the tax collector who had left a life of affluence and said, guys, look, none of you know what I have had to give up. I mean, I had to give up, you know, the best of the best, the best food, the best clothes, the best home. I had to give it all up. I had to give up money. I had to, I had to give up all of that. None of you have given up what I have given up. And then you got Peter. He's over in the corner. And, you know, Peter is that guy. You know, you all know that guy. You know, in, in, in the parties or the class, and you start having a competition, and you, you're telling all your great stories, and then you've got that guy who, you know, trumps everybody. It doesn't matter what you say. He can always trump it with something he's saying. Peter's over there, hey, well, did you walk on water? <laughs> you know, Peter, Peter's got it. You know, it's, it's like if you ever meet somebody that, that walks on the moon, hey, there's a very small handful of people in the world in history that have ever walked on the moon, they can trump everybody. It doesn't matter what you tell them. You, know? you can tell the greatest story, you know, the, the most awesome thing that you've ever done, the greatest accomplishment in your life, and they'll just be over there picking their teeth. I walked on the moon. Uh, Peter, he, and, and Peter has something that even those guys can't say. You know, there's several that have walked on the moon. Peter's the only person in history that can say that he walked on water. So he's that guy. You know, I walked on water. Yeah. Yeah, Andrew, you called me, but... I walked down water. Uh, yeah, James and John, you know, you come with me, but psh, I didn't see you jumping out of the boat. Uh, Peter's that guy. And so these guys have that competition. And, uh, and again, they're men. And men, we compete over everything. Uh, you know, that's, that's where thumb wars came from. You know, whoever thought of a thumb war? You know, you just put your hands together and you're trying to put your thumb on somebody else's hands. The dumbest thing ever. But hey, we compete over it, okay? Uh, you know, rock, paper, scissors. What the world? I mean, think about it. where did that come from? It's just men, you know, they can't compete about anything else. You know, it's in a small place. You can't run. You can't jump. You can't smack each other. So, hey, we're just going to make some. Uh, and so these guys are competing with one another. And uh, certainly we know that scripture tells us that this is foolishness. And Jesus is going to make it very clear to them that what they're doing is, is dumb, guys. Uh, and, we, you know, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10 that when we compare ourselves among ourselves, we're what? We're not wise. Well, the opposite of that's a nice way of saying that you're foolish, that you're dumb. Uh, don't compare yourselves among ourselves. When we compare ourselves uh, among ourselves, it's foolish because we are not the measure of greatness. We are not the standard. That's Jesus. And so when, when I compare myself to you, you compare myself to me, we are only comparing ourselves to broken, dirty vessels. That's a bad comparison. And so Jesus says, okay, guys, 
They come to Jesus because they have to get Jesus involved. They figure that Jesus has got to have an opinion. You know, at the very least, Jesus, he knows everything. He's, he's going to know who the greatest is. He's going to be able to say, yep, it's, it's this guy right here. You know, and, and they're going to be okay with that because they trust Jesus. Jesus, you tell us which one of us is the greatest, and we'll live with that. We'll live with that, and then we'll figure out who's second greatest. Uh, so they, they go to Jesus, and then Jesus, he does something, and it's, I love it. But it's so totally unexpected for the... If you were in the 12 disciples... Okay, let's see. We got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Sorry, guys. Uh, if you 12 men are having a competition among yourselves to see who's the greatest, and you have your opinion about who it is, probably yourself, uh, and you go to Jesus and you're waiting who the greatest is, and then Jesus goes to the nursery and pulls out a child from the nursery and brings a child from the nursery among you and says, guys, this is how you'll be the greatest. Now, I don't know about you. I suppose we should look at it. Look at verse number two. And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. Put him right in the middle. And said, verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, he shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. For whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He does something that to these guys, these grown men, these men who in some cases have earthly arguments as to why they would be the greatest compared to each other. And Jesus brings a little kid, a child, and that's, I mean, imagine how humiliating that is. Guys, if you're going to be the greatest, you have to be like this kid. You have to be like him. And Jesus begins his instruction by redefining what greatness is to his disciples. And he says, guys, greatness has nothing to do with your achievement, your success, your longevity. Greatness has to do with humility. Greatness has to do with Humility. It's, it's becoming like a child. Now, let me make sure you don't hear what I'm not saying. Not childish. Some of us have that down. Uh, not childish. Childlike. Childlike. You know, you think those of you that, that uh, well, I guess all of us were children. But those of you that work with children, okay, in school or nursery, you think of the traits of, of a child. Simplicity. Sincerity. Uh, a desire to know. You know, for young children, especially nursery age children, a need for everything. There's not a whole lot of independence in a child. They may have an independent spirit, but they need a whole lot. And Jesus says, I want you to have the spirit of a child. Let me give you that first statement. Greatness in God's kingdom is not measured by how high you are, but by how humble you are. Greatness in God's kingdom is not measured by how high you are, but by how humble you are. It's not measured by what you think you can achieve, but by knowing that whatever you want to achieve, you're never going to be able to do it on your own. That's greatness. Humility. Uh, it's not measured by what you have to offer, but by realizing that you have nothing to truly offer by yourself. That's 
greatness, humility. Uh, Jesus speaks again on it uh, in uh, Matthew 23. He says, but he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Uh, to exalt something. Obviously, we want to exalt the Lord. We want to exalt Jesus. When we exalt ourselves, as Jesus says here, we're putting ourselves on a pedestal. We're lifting ourselves up. We're thinking highly of ourselves. Jesus says, no, the opposite of that needs to be our spirit. It needs to be one of being abased or humbling ourselves there in verse number 12. And that word humble in the Greek, it means self-humiliation. Self-humiliation. Now, if all of us were to be honest, nobody wants to be humiliated. It's humiliating. Uh, no one wants to be humiliated. But Jesus says that's the spirit that we need to have. Self-humiliation. Uh, listen, humility is not focusing on yourself less. Humility is not focusing on yourself at all. Humility is not just focusing on yourself less, having a, a lesser opinion of yourself, a lower opinion of yourself. Humility is just, I'm not in the picture. Humility is not focusing on yourself at all. You know, that's the example that Jesus gave us. Philippians 2, the Bible says, If there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. And that's important. We'll come back to that in just a second. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Lowliness. Humility, humiliation. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you. Okay, so so Paul is saying, I want you to have, I want you to have a certain mindset, a certain a certain way of looking at things, a certain way of looking at other people better than yourselves, not thinking of yourself at all. Why? Verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. That's about as high as you can go. Okay? You can't get any higher than that. That's God. Jesus is God. He said, I am God. I know that I am God. I am equal with God. Yet, verse 7, made himself of what? No reputation. That word no means no. And that's no. It means no. Okay, just in case you... It doesn't exist. Jesus said, I don't have any reputation. I don't have a lesser reputation. I don't have a lower reputation. Jesus says, I have no reputation. Made himself of no reputation, but took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he what? Humbled. Again, humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him. He put him on the pedestal. Jesus humiliated himself. God put him on the pedestal. Uh, God hath also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the example that Jesus gives us. Humility is not focusing on yourself less. It is focusing on yourself not at all. Why? Because the focus is on others. Humility is not focusing on yourself less. It's focusing on yourself not at all because the focus is on others. That's what humility is. That's what greatness is. Now, 
Peter, I, I, we, we in jest talked about Peter being a part of that conversation with the disciples. I'm, I'm positive that Peter was a part of that conversation. Uh, I, I would almost guarantee it. That Peter, and, and whether or not he used the walking on water card, I don't know. But I know that Peter was a part of that conversation. Because eventually, God brings up humility in Peter's writings. And, and when God brings up something later, usually it's just to, to remind somebody to keep you humble. And uh, he uses humility, or brings up humility in Peter's writings. Look at 1 Peter 5. The Bible says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with Humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, into the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. We're talking about living in kingdom community, the humility that is necessary for that. And here, Peter continues his letter in chapter number five with this thought. Submission is the spirit of fellowship. If we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to follow and, and be together in this kingdom community, it's going to require submission. It's going to require humility. He tells his readers to be clothed in humility. Clothe. Those are your clothes. Humility is what you wear. Humility is what covers you. Uh, listen, submission or humility is the, belief, is the uniform of a believer in community. That's necessary. It's what we, it's what we, and you've got to put it on. Listen, okay? Um, not, not to be, when you were born, you didn't come out wearing clothes, just in case you were wondering. You have to put those on every day, okay? Humility is not natural for you and I. It's something we have to put on. It's not natural. We are naturally prideful, selfish, self-centered people. Peter says you got to put it on. It's clothed. Be clothed with humility. Submission is the uniform of a believer. It's an apron that you put on so that you can serve others like Jesus. Humility. Be clothed in humility. Uh, but look what Peter says as he continues on. He says God gives grace to the humble. He says God gives grace uh, to the humble. Listen, uh, we understand that grace is the unmerited favor of God. Grace is what we get that we do not deserve. Uh, grace is comes down to those who don't deserve it and know they don't deserve it. Grace comes down to those who don't deserve it and know they don't deserve it. Uh, it can't flow up to those who think they deserve it. That's not grace. That goes against the definition of grace. That's earning something. Grace comes down and lifts up high once it's done its work. However, on the flip side, Peter says God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Now, let me say this just a minute, okay? Uh, God resists the proud. That is a very strong thought. And if you've never thought about that, I would encourage you to think about that at least for a few minutes before it scares you. God resists the proud. God opposes the proud. God pushes against the proud. Uh, listen, pride was the first sin. We know that Adam and Eve, they were the first, the first humans to sin. But before Adam and Eve could sin, Satan was cast out of heaven. Why? Because he lifted up himself and thought he wanted to be God. It was pride. Now, he did work that into Adam and Eve's first sin, that they would be like gods, that they would, they would know right and wrong. Uh, but pride was the first sin. Pride is satanic. 
Pride is demonic. It's the root of every sin. When we sin, we are choosing what we think is right. Or we are choosing what we want to do, regardless of whether we know it's right or not. Pride is the root of every sin. And you think about that, no wonder God has to resist pride. He has to. Because when we choose to sin, we are making ourselves God. We are determining what is right and what is wrong. And God, God said, thou shalt have no other gods. Uh, I am the Lord, there is none else. And so when, when we are lifted up in pride, God says, I have to oppose you because you are trying to put yourself in a place that is reserved for me only. God resists the proud. Uh, he actively opposes them. He works against them. Well, think about that, okay? You and I, okay, I'll speak for myself. I have a hard time getting things done when I'm doing things correctly and trying to follow the Lord and trying to, to let him lead me and trying to, to serve him. I don't need God trying to fight against me. I don't need God trying to oppose me. Uh, and you think about that because... It, that's convicting for me. What good things? What things in ministry? What, what things in, in the music? What things in, in campus ministry? What good things have I tried to do for me? What good things have I tried to do for me that God says, I'm going to have to oppose that? Because it's pride. You think about that. God resists the proud. The call to every believer in verse number six, is to humble yourself. Humble yourself so God does not have to. Die to self and allow the work of grace to bring peace to your heart and your humility. Uh, it's in a place of humility that we're able to cast all our care upon him. It's in a place of humility, in verse number seven, that we're able to cast off all our anxiety. Let me say this, okay? Why are proud people more anxious than humble people? Why are proud people more anxious than humble people? Well, they think it all depends on them. I think it all depends on them. I think it all, that, it all relies on them, and they're the ones that have to do it, and it's going to reflect poorly or, or goodly upon them. Uh, they think it all depends on them. But those who live from a place of humility know that it all depends on God. And so as we humble ourselves, we're able to say, God, I cast all this on you. I, I, I give it to you. I'm not going to try to worry about it myself. I'm not going to try to do it myself. I'm going to humble myself and realize that it's you that is going to do that. This is the example that Jesus had lived for the disciples and that he gives to us as well. Now, back to Matthew 18. Matthew 18, verse number 12 because as we think about that idea that humility is not thinking about ourselves less, it's not thinking about ourselves at all because we're focused on others. Again, the example of Jesus, verse number 12, uh, the Bible says, How think ye if a man have a hundred sheep and one of them be gone astray? Doth not he leave the ninety and nine and goeth into the mountains and seek if that which is gone astray? And if so be that he find it, Verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. Even so it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Uh, humility is the shepherd being focused on one sheep. Humility is the shepherd being focused on one sheep. It is a willingness to disregard himself 
for the sake of one. For the sake of one. And remember, we're talking about the example that Jesus gave to us. Uh, it is humbling to go after one. Okay? It's humbling to worry about one. There's not as much reward in just one. At least one compared to a hundred. There's not as much reward there. Uh, there's not as much popularity or recognition or accolades with just one. But, but when we're in kingdom community, it goes after just one. We go after just one. Uh, we're concerned with just one. We're willing to reach out to just one. Yes, we're, we're, we want to help the 99, but we're not just distracted by them and forgetting about the one. Uh, we're, we're not just comfortable with the 99. We're not just content with the 99. We, we, we see the one like Jesus, and we're willing to risk it all. You know, the shepherd that Jesus talks about here leaves the 99, leaves them, to go find one. He was humble. He, he, he was willing to humble himself to see the one. And so when I, when I say that to us, okay, uh, be willing to see one. Be willing to see one. Sometimes I think we don't maybe present the gospel to somebody or we, we don't try to help somebody because it's only one. Well, it's only one. It's only one. It's not a crowd. It's not a bunch of people. Man, I wish I could help more. Don't use that as an excuse. Find one. Find one. Be willing to humble yourself for one. Be willing to humble yourself to reach out to one. Be willing uh, to see the one who needs to be seen. Just one. You know, uh, we've talked about it before. Sometimes it's easy to, to, to miss the one through the crowd. We miss, we miss the one that needs help. We miss the one that needs attention. We, need, we miss the one that needs encouragement. We miss the one that just needs to be told, hey, I'm praying for you. We miss the one because we think either there's so many or, man, I can't make a dent in all of them. Don't worry about all of them. Humble yourself. Find one. Find one. Find one. Humility uh, is the shepherd focused on one sheep. Now, I'm going to stop there because I want to make sure I spend enough time on what I was about to talk about. So we will finish that up next week. But, uh, but think about the example of Jesus. Okay? Humility. Greatness in kingdom community is not about how high you are, it's about humble, how humble you are. It's not focusing on yourself less, it's focusing on yourself not at all because you're focused on others. And that's how we're gonna live in kingdom community.